Hello and welcome to E3, Energy and Efficiency with Emily. I'm your host, Emily Mottram. This podcast is all about architecture, building science, and female entrepreneurship. So prepare to get nerdy. Welcome back to E3, Energy and Efficiency with Emily. Today we have Randy on with Northern Built Pro. So I'm actually really excited. We met on Instagram um, in the building science community on Instagram. So it's been a real pleasure to learn from other building science gurus across the United States. So I'm going to let you introduce yourself, Randy, and tell us a little bit more about uh, who you are, where you're at, and what you've been up to. Okay. Uh, my name is Randy Williams. I, uh, I live in northern Minnesota. I'm, uh, I'm at Climate Zone 7, a little chilly up here at times of the year. Uh, I started in the construction industry in the mid-1990s, um, as, actually as an electrician. I'm a licensed electrician. Uh, eventually moved into building. Um, so I built first house in 2000 with my dad. Um, by 2005, I was building full-time and slowly transitioned into energy editing. Took some training in 2009 when the downturn in the economy happened. I was a little nervous about uh, about how things were, were moving. I actually didn't need to be worried. I was, we stayed plenty busy, but uh, um, now I'm pretty much a full-time, not quite a full-time energy editor. I do do some building still, but not, not like I used to. Um, yeah, that's great. I think a lot of us did energy training in 2009 when the market was pretty bad. It was considered uh, gainfully unemployed to be an architect at the time. <laughs> and, you know, people people weren't really building. And I had always been interested in it. Um, I, my thesis at Penn State was all about, you know, recycling and consumerism. And that turned into taking the lead exam. And then that followed by doing a whole bunch more certifications and by 2009, I was doing a lot more energy auditing as well. And I've kind of gone the opposite direction as you is now I'm doing more building with, you know, energy performance in mind. In fact, um, my husband moved to New York three years ago to do a short stint in New York, um, with his business. And, uh, when I went to get registered in New York, they were like, you're a hers raider and an architect. Like that's unheard of. <laughs> and I'm like, it shouldn't be, it should be the norm. Like, come on. Uh, but it was really great. Cause in New York, NYSERDA has a lot of great programs to help people, you know, bridge the gap of the knowledge with, uh, with energy performance. So that was nice. I took the passive house course while I was there. And, um, when I took the passive house course, the guy was like, why are you taking this class? And I was like, well, I learned something new with every certification, you know, <laughs> sitting in the back of the room and um, it was fun. Um, so, so I think a lot of us got into energy consulting. I think it's awesome that you're um, still doing mostly energy consulting and doing a lot less uh, building because we've seen kind of a, an opposite trend here in Maine, which is there were a lot of us doing energy auditing and slowly since the market has gotten better, people seem less interested in it. Um, more interested in it in new construction, I think. Um, so building more high performance houses, you know, I, I basically say that's all I do. And so people who find me usually are looking for a high performance house. Um, but a lot of the people that I knew that were doing just straight energy auditing had a lot of trouble because people seemed to stop wanting to do it. So sounds like you have a healthy community in Minnesota 
that's still tackling that? Yeah, they're slowly transitioning, I guess, towards, you know, we, we adapted the 2012 code, I guess, in uh, 2015. Um, so blower door testing and, and that, that really started in 2015 for us. Um, not that we had leaky houses, especially the new stuff back then. We, we used a lot of poly in our, in our climate, which is, I, I'd like to see that change, but um, maybe slowly as, as uh, we move forward. Uh, 2018 code is actually um, being adopted now. Uh, we start at the end of this month. Um, but nobody knows how Minnesota is going to change it. That's one, one thing Minnesota does do a lot of changes to the code, especially the energy code. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we the, the requirement for uh, exterior installation is a good example. We we don't have that in our in our codes. Um, the state of Minnesota eliminates that. Um, I think mostly because we do use a lot of poly. That would be an issue if we had uh, XPS on the outside and, uh, you know, a bunch of poly on the inside and, and try to keep things dry, you know, it might be a disaster. So, right. Yeah. Um, but one other thing that we do have, though, that other parts of the country don't have is the requirement of uh, mechanical balanced mechanical ventilation. You know, we're, we're using a lot of HRVs where, you know, you get in the southern states from from us, you know, down where Travis, for instance, in Missouri lives, he, they're not required to have ERVs or HRVs. They, you know, the better builders put them in, but they're not, they're not required. Whereas our, our state, we've been required for almost 20 years to have that. Wow. I think that is incredible. Um, embarrassingly enough, the state of Maine is still in the 2009 code, um, but they are attempting to adopt 2015 right now and one of the um, things that they're trying to push is for ASHRAE standard um, the 2016 version of it even with the 2015 code because I'd like to see us doing more um, we're mostly climate zone six we do have some climate zone seven kind of up in the county but you know as you know it's critically important for those nine months of the year that we're heating so mm -hmm. i love that you have kind of already put that in there um we're still in the um you know no mechanical ventilation required uh you know bath fans and and a kitchen range vent and for a while they were still in like if you have a window in your bathroom that counts as ventilation i'm like who opens the window in the bathroom in the <laughs> middle of january right like i mean that's when yeah. it's going to be the worst yeah. and you're doing you are most unlikely to do it <laughs> so exactly. you know so we're moving away from that at least a little bit, but uh, we're a long way off from ERVs and HRVs being required. Um, so the question I have for you is since you guys have been doing it for 20 years, um, do you have people who come out then and commission all of your systems? Because right now the struggle here and why a lot of people are still doing exhaust only ventilation is um, Zender is the only one that commissions the whole system. Um, a lot of people will balance it at the unit, but that doesn't necessarily tell you what, what it's doing at each port. So, yeah, no, there, it, it, there's no requirement. Maybe some of the cities, if you're inside a city where you have some, um, uh, inspections that they may require um, some kind of a report, but otherwise, uh, it, it's up to the HVAC contractor to to have it uh, have it balanced. And whether it's done right, your guess is as good as mine. 
Well, I mean, I guess there are some good contractors and probably some not so good contractors because mm -hmm. if, if you're not getting callbacks, then it must be doing something. <laughs> well, part of what I run into a lot when I'm doing, doing energy audits is, is I do see a lot of homeowners that were never trained on, on HVACs. I, yes. I was in one a, a couple of weeks ago where the, the homeowners, well, matter of fact, last Friday, uh, where the homeowners knew what it did, but nobody know, told, told them how to maintain the unit. It had never been opened in the seven years that the house had been, <laughs> since it had been built. So Yeah, never been yeah. clean, never filtered. We just had one exactly. um, with an ERV put in and, you know, the gentleman that installed it, um, he automatically puts it on maximum volume the whole time. Um, cause he's like, you know, ventilation is really critically important. And I'm like, yes, ventilation is important. This should have been sized to run at low level ventilation. And by the way, this is a brand new house that just got completed in, um, May, June, and it's a hundred percent humidity outside. So we've got a humid structure or dumping hundred percent humidity inside and the heat pumps are trying to like dehumidify. It was like a swamp inside yeah. this house. And the homeowners yeah. kept saying to, to me, like, what do we do? Like, we don't know what to do. This is a new technology to us. And, and I just worked with them till we finally figured out what was going on. Cause I was like, I got my exhaust flow pan out, which I usually just use to test bath fans. And I'm like, well, we'll test the exhaust ports. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we're moving a lot of air. Like what is, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but I think that when I was doing a lot of energy consulting, um, I did both uh, single family and uh, large scale multifamily energy consulting. You're right. The biggest problem is that people aren't trained on how to use these things mm -hmm. so they just don't use them they don't ever turn the bathroom vent fan on or they don't know that they're supposed to clean or change the filters in the erv or the heat pumps um <laughs> so exactly yeah and then uh, they don't know where to set their humidity yes and, then, and uh, I, I do run into quite a few humidifiers which scare me in our climate a lot <laughs> um you know they're tied to the furnace and uh they're they're, they're dripping <laughs> you know, they and they're pumping like 60 80 percent humidity yeah. into the space and you're going it's february no no i mean yeah. you it sounds like you have a lot of poly in your climate which has maybe saved a couple of people's houses here we've sort of moved away from the whole vapor barrier idea and so if we have somebody pumping 60 or 80% humidity, it's going into that wall system and then what's happening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. We, uh, the, the ones that I see a lot of, um, tend to be in older homes yeah. and they're, you don't know where they're leaking to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and it, it, they just have high air leaks. And of course in the wintertime they're dry, you know, and they're, my house is like that. I have a 1952 Cape, um, where we have a polar vortex year ago where we had uh, 41 below actual air temperature my house was at 14 percent humidity <laughs> 41 below uh, yeah. i have a house uh that was built in the 70s um we it was in a good location it has a great floor plan and i was like i can work with that we'll do a deep energy retrofit over the next hour many years that we're you know here but um this was the the first like full winter we were here and it was like 16 percent humidity and i'm like okay <laughs> something's yeah. gotta give we're we gotta yeah. do something um although we never got down to negative 41 uh i think it was negative 15 that's about as cold as it got this year okay um, that's still cold 
it's still cold. Um, although yeah. we, I don't know how your weather's been, but we haven't had a lot of really cold weather this year and really no snow almost at all. So um, we haven't been cold, but we have a lot of snow. Um, uh, you know, in the middle of winter, uh, it would be my waist. You know, I'm six foot tall, so we had three feet of snow on the ground and that's you know it settles over over the years so it you know we had quite a bit more than that but but same thing with the temperatures we we've had a few days where it's been 20 25 below but not not like the the, the previous year where we had a week where we didn't get above 20 below for a week you know yeah <laughs> i think it was what last year or two years ago it was bitter cold in february yeah. for like two weeks it was it yep. was bad and then this year it's like one day it's negative 15 degrees and two days later it's 44. And I'm like, what happened? And so we have the opposite problem is the ground was frozen. We'd get snow and then it would warm up and be 44 degrees and it would just pour and it rained yeah. and every, like the water didn't have anywhere to go. I was, it was crazy. So, um, so if you're, did you run a blower door house or blower number on your house? Um, I, I am afraid to run a blower door <laughs> test on this house. So I fully admit that even though I own a blower door, uh, I have not tested this house yet. So okay. I need to do it because um, I want to know kind of pre doing, you know, we started with some systems stuff first, uh, okay. but we need, we need to do. Um, I mean, we have, they took a chimney out of our roof and we have a sheetrock hole in the ceiling and, you know, no better, but your house is always like the last one you get to. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, mine started, I, I have 12.5 ACH 50 is where yeah. it started. So it's, she, she's leaky. Um, I started last year actually on the exterior. I, uh, I have the old, uh, asbestos type siding that oh my did you take it off stuff. i'm working on it not all of it yet i'm working on it mm -hmm. um but then i've got shiplap behind there and, oh. and so how do you you know i wanted my 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 airtight layer to be on the exterior of the house rather than be on the interior so how do you address that well i, I chose to use uh, henry blueskin so i've got a, yeah. a self-appeared um, product and and then trying to work my way around the house and it's same as you I'm several years uh, I'll be working on it and but but I, it's something I enjoy you know it's something I do on my own time so it's it's coming yeah, me too and you know here it's been kind of a question of you know what to do first so this house has you know vinyl siding on from the 70s and you know it's kind of at like everyone thinks that vinyl siding is maintenance free and it's really not. And it has a no. lifespan and yeah. um, we're on the water. So it gets, you know, beat up even worse. And so we knew coming into it that we were going to have to do that. And like you, I want to do my air barrier on the exterior. So I'm kind of haven't done any major interior projects yet because I don't really know what's under the vinyl. You know, I'm <laughs> assuming, I'm assuming there's something in there, you know, but okay. are they, are they skip boards? Is it some kind of sheet material? I don't know yet. And so I'm like, I want to, I know it's two by four wall system. So, you know, I can, I'm totally against spray foam. Well, not totally, but mostly against spray foam. Okay. And, um, so with my two by four walls, I got to go out. So you know when i take that siding on i want to add a layer of of some kind of rigid insulation or something on the exterior okay. 
So I wanted to do that, but that would have required me to, I have no uh, overhang on my gable ends. Oh yeah. That's... I will, yeah. I didn't want to get into the roof. The roof's new. So I, I'm living with the, with the no exterior insulation, but I, I am pulling as I'm remodeling the house, I'm pulling the insulation out of what, as I remodel the interior, uh, I had mineral wool, R7 mineral wool. Ooh, all right. You're doing yeah. good. 40 below, you go close to the wall, you almost freeze to it. it it's quite chilly. <laughs> I know. I can't even imagine. I mean, I guess at least you didn't have vermiculite because the, I don't know if they were still doing that in the 50s, uh, pouring, you know, rocks in the walls. There were. Uh, and yes, I'm lucky I did not. I haven't seen any of that. Yeah. Yeah, yep. luckily I haven't seen any of that yet either. And I know I have fiberglass in my attic. Uh, so but I don't know okay. if I have any in my walls, but I have some in my attic. <laughs> <laughs> so you said you uh, you you replaced did you replace a a furnace then? No, we still have um we still have a number two fuel oil boiler right oh. now. Okay. But it was making hot water off the boiler. So the first thing that I did was put in a heat pump hot water tank. And I'm like, okay, okay. we're at least going to be able to turn this thing off in the summer. Like this is the dumbest yeah. idea ever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, so we, we, we started there and um, with some basement, it's a utility space. So doing some stuff in the basement where, you know, I can okay. see the concrete walls don't have anything on them. So that one was kind of easier fix then okay. um but we i want to pull out all of the attic insulation we've got fiberglass up there um and a ton of holes and i want to go through an air seal all of that um and blow in cellulose after the fact but you know it was the 70s so we don't have any lights in our living room we don't have any lights <laughs> in the hallway you know <laughs> we got like one light in the center of our kitchen so i'm like okay we gotta do electrical first well they put in a gas range and a gas dryer so i don't have any 220 outlets so i need an electrician to put in some 220 outlets and some uh, light which is just like it's one thing after another you know how it is on in renovation yeah. work and so yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was, uh, I have natural gas in my house. I was forced to change my furnace. Uh, matter of fact, it was a week ago. Um, oh, no. A little over a week ago. I woke up at four o'clock in the morning. Um, I could smell something hot. Yeah. And I ran downstairs to find my furnace on fire. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. it, uh, there's an over temp uh, sensor that in the uh, heat exchanger that uh, actually uh, it got a little warm and it was it was actually on fire when I got down to it. It was dripping plastic inside the unit, so I I quickly got it out and, uh, and luckily I uh, I know a few people and we got, we had a furnace back in in that day. So. Yeah, that's that's really good. <laughs> um, do you Not guys use? Do you guys use heat pumps at all? And I mean, obviously that would have been a, a much much bigger project then you didn't have any heat and it's still March so uh, yeah. um, but do you use heat pumps in zone 7? We do um, I actually had a house that I designed last year um, it, it's lovingly named that the concreteless slab on great house it's uh, I know Mike Maines has got um, an article that he wrote um, dealing with a, a slab a concreteless slab foundation yeah um, well, we built one up here too I, I That's did awesome. Yeah. And that one is heated with a, uh, it's actually a central ducted Mitsubishi. Um, 
unit. Yep. And so far, so good. I'm, I'm, I'm impressed with the unit. We do have a little bit of an icing issue underneath it right now, but it didn't get going until late in the year. Um, yeah. We already had snow on the ground. So hopefully that kind of takes care of itself for next year. Yeah. But so far, so good. Yeah, I'm impressed with it. Yeah. yeah, we really like it. I, um, you know, I get a lot of pushback and, you know, people say, oh, well, don't I need this or that? And I said, uh, I think in the last five years, I haven't designed a house that has anything other than heat pumps. Now, lots of people put in wood stoves and then they realize in these high performance houses that they're cooking. So then the windows are open and the wood stove is open. It depends on the configuration. Um, people mm -hmm. in Maine seem to like wood stoves, but um, yeah. we have several that... Um, just have heat pumps and they work great too. Um, okay. So that's yeah. the, the wood stoves in my climate, especially when you get into the new construction, I've, I've experienced some issues with that. Um, especially if they're located in a basement and they have a, an outdoor chimney, it, it, they're hard to get drafting, right? Oh um, yeah. So yeah. The, the homeowner turns the bath fan on and they backdraft. I've had that. So they're, they're tricky in, in construction. Yeah, there's a lot of education that goes with it. And I am a big stickler on if you're going to put a wood stove in, you're also going to put an outdoor air intake mm -hmm. to the wood stove. And then it's piping, you know, negative 15 degree air into the wood stove. And the wood stove doesn't want to light because it's freezing. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, they, they can be a little bit more tricky. Um, we have one that... Um, they did an elbow and went outside between the first and second floor to go up and they struggled the first year to really get it to draft uh well until they kind of figured it all out but um you know my my goal is to be involved through construction on all of these uh high performance houses to do some of the educational training um mm -hmm. as well because yeah it can be a major issue and i i guess the only downside to that would be if they ever sell them hopefully they provide that training then to the next person right <laughs> yes <laughs> have you, um i don't know if you have any in your climate but when i was doing in energy auditing um, I ran into a double envelope house um, I've only ever seen one and the people that lived in it didn't know what it was they were using the front um, the front greenhouse energy sink as a greenhouse uh, <laughs> and then you know there was no vapor barrier underneath it so they were just making moisture go all through the house and oh. I'm just going in there climbing underneath looking at the the vents in the back and some of them are open and some of them are closed and they just think oh man this is like a little tinder box i hope this never catches on fire because this should go up <laughs> <laughs> no i haven't seen anything like that uh, in our climate there might be wrong but i i just, just haven't seen them yet yeah i don't think they're super popular so they're 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 out there but they're kind of like one or ten maybe in the state how about do you guys have attached heated garages we don't have attached heated garages actually i would love to hear more about that because um we have occasionally someone who will want to heat their garage but for the most part we sometimes don't even insulate their attached garages so okay. yeah they're they're very popular especially in new construction by us and hopefully um, whoever the contractor is, is, is making a good isolation between the garage and the house. 
I have done energy audits when where that isn't the case. Um, I was in one a few weeks ago where the homeowner actually took me into her, her closet um, in the house, pulled the, uh, some clothing away from the, 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 the where there was an outside wall and you, there was a big black moldy spot where the, where the clothing was pushed up against the wall. And of course, looking at the house, uh, they were at 45% inside um, the home. Um, they did have an air exchanger, but I don't think it was, they had it shut off because it was messing with their fireplace. And so of there was course. some education to be done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but isolating, uh, getting rid of that humidity in the garage, you know, there, uh, it's always my question to, to, to builders is how are you going to address that situation? And a lot of them are putting just ceiling fans in the garages where they're just stirring the air up and making the humidity all nice and even in there, but really yeah. not You're like, that doesn't quite work. <laughs> no, no. So whole, uh, thankfully this, this year when I was at, uh, I was done in IBS. Um, um, I actually missed them, but uh, there was a, a, a post on Instagram shortly after I got home on a uh, product. Um, it's a garage ventilation system where it looks like a bath fan, but oh. it, it mounts in the wall and it senses a humidity level and it also senses uh, carbon monoxide. So if either oh. one of them are elevated, it automatically kicks on and it automatically kicks on. That's nice. Yeah. Yep. And it's, it's uh, exhaust only, but when you're in the garage, usually the garage door is leaky enough where you pull enough, enough air, fresh air around the door itself. So it's, uh, you know, I, I think it's a good, it's something I've been suggesting, suggesting I haven't installed one yet, but it's, um, I am hopefully going to have one here in the next few months. Yeah, no, a heated garage or not heated garage, um, having one that could cause depressurization when you pulled in would would be good or pressurized houses. We have that conversation a lot because in these high performance houses, you open the door to the garage and, you know, if you have any kind of negative pressure, in comes whatever's in the garage. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, wow. and a lot of the garages um, up here, they're, they're heated with hot water, so the floors are hot. Oh. And it's nice because you get into your vehicle, it's, you know, it's, it's warm, it's uh, free of snow, there's you know, a bunch of ice hanging off from it. Problem is, is, of course, it's melted all the snow and all that humidity is... Yeah, then you have this puddle in your garage. Um, we had, I had one person ask me about that um, and wanted to do the heated slab, um, or at least wanted to do some kind of heat in the garage. And I was like, well, then, you know, all the snow is going to come in and melt off your car. And if you don't keep it heated all the time, then you're going to have an ice puddle in mm-hmm. your garage. And, you know, it's, yeah. it's always kind of, because when you, when you're out and you come in, even though you, you don't have necessarily have the snow um, on your car, then when you go out again, a lot of times there's a lot of snow underneath it that, you know, and then yeah. that, Snow and salt. Um, I assume you guys have salt as well um, mm-hmm. on your roads. As that snow and salt then starts to pit and eat through your concrete layer. And um, are you doing a lot of um, like painted floors or anything in your garages? Some epoxy. Um, most of the uh, garages have floor drains installed. They're supposed to be daylighted, or mm-hmm. you know, I don't like seeing them tied to a sewer system just because of the salt. Um, but a lot of them daylight, you know, and a lot of the new construction is rural. It's out of yeah. uh, the city limits, so there's not, you know, there's not city sewer and well and stuff like that. You know, each of these have their own well and their own sewer systems. But finding a place to dump them, you know, we, we do have a lot of lakes. You know, <laughs> we, yeah, 
Yeah, we have a lot yes. of lakes also. And in fact, here, most places are saying you can't have a floor drain at all um, okay. unless it has its own like treatment system. So basically, if you want a floor drain in your garage, you have to have its own like mini septic to go with okay. it. So okay. um, one, they're a little bit more strict about it on the lakes, um, I would say. But, you know, also starting to think about, you know, what are people putting in their floor drains aside from the salt from the road and the snow melt is, exactly. you know, like, yeah. what else did you, you know, wash off your car <laughs> or spray paint in your garage or you changed the oil and you poured it down the floor drain? I mean, like, I hope not, but you you don't know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or yeah. you have, you know, your car leaks in your garage and you wash down the floor of your garage and then you end up with, you know, oil, whatever um, in it. Right. So it's, um, right. they're, they're a little bit stricter about that um, and a little bit less so on, you know, some of the other things that I, I wish they were. Um, you know, I said we have the 2009 code, but for towns under 4,000 people here, you, you actually didn't have to follow the 2009 IECC okay. at all. And I thought that's it. You know, you're climate zone seven, we're climate zone six. Um, I thought that was a real disservice to the people who live here. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, they need better housing and to stay warm in their houses and, you know, I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully be able to afford to heat their home. Um, and that's part of uh, the energy audits I do. I do a lot of energy assessments uh, with a local power company where, I'm involved in their high bill complaints. And yeah. I, I don't know how many homes I'm in every year where they have three, four, five hundred up to, I've seen $750 a month for just heating a home. Wow. Is that and because they're using electric? Um, you know, sometimes. are they using space heaters or? Sometimes it runs, it varies. It, uh, I, I've run into houses that have had two ground source heat pumps and the envelope of the house was so poor that they couldn't keep the house above 55 degrees in the winter time. It was seasonal. They weren't there, but still um, to be, you know, with two ground source heat pumps have a, a $400 a month electric bill and you're not even there. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's small. crazy. Yeah. We, um, we have a little bit of ground source heat pumps here. Um, mostly my personal preference is just to build a better envelope and then you don't need a ground source heat pump. Um, I agree. So we just do a lot more air to air heat exchangers. And then, um, you know, I mean, I guess they've been around for a while, but you do kind of wonder, you know, what are they disturbing with the ecosystem and habitats and doing all the ground source loops and, you know, mm -hmm. the drilling in your yard. Like we're, we like to do helical piers and not dig anything. You know, you did a concreteless slab. Um, yeah. you know, so some of us are starting to think about, um, you know, the actual property and the ground. And yep. what yep. you're doing there. So I actually put one in my own personal home in 1992, the first home that I, I, I owned. Um, we had a 510 unit, um, three quarters of a mile of an inch and a quarter black pipe buried in the yard. Yeah. Um, and um, I was, the, the system worked until. A couple of years, of course, I haven't been there for years, but uh, the, the the entire system worked great up until and it was the heat pump that died. The, the loop's still there, you know. Yeah. Someone could come in and put another uh, um, furnace in, and it, you know, for it'd be about ten thousand dollars to have one put in, but they could, you know, have that system working again. So, sure. 
it's, they work. Yeah, they do. Like, like you they work, it, but I, they're they're almost overkill and unnecessary, especially yeah. for for the cost of of exactly. doing of doing it. You know, insulation is almost always cheaper than yeah, you yeah, know. a forty thousand dollar heat system. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, you know, to to you go through and do all that. I think the only one um, I haven't had a client put them in. Maybe that's just because I'm I'm like oh we don't need that, um, but I did get called out when I was doing a lot of blower door testing. Um, they had one and they wanted to put a wall up and they weren't really sure where their loops were in the floor, okay. and so um, they also were seasonal people. So um, and they didn't turn it on soon enough before I got there. So then I'm standing around, standing around, standing around, waiting for it to warm up enough that, you know, with my infrared camera, I could see the <laughs> loops in the floor. Okay. <laughs> so they could determine, you know, where the, where the uh, wall could go without puncturing anything. So oh, okay. Okay. I thought that was kind of entertaining use of the infrared camera, but Hey, you do what you got to do. So. Yep. Yep. Do you see, um, how much electric heat do you see other than the air source heat pumps? Do you see a lot of resistant heat systems? Not really. Um, no? There was a lot of all electric and then it got really expensive with our power company. And so people ripped it all out. So a lot of the stuff, well, I think it was pretty popular in the seventies anyway. So a lot of the stuff in the seventies okay. had a lot of electric resistance and then it got really expensive and um, you know, fuel oil number two is fairly inexpensive um, which isn't great, but it is. And mm -hmm. so a lot of people, you know, just stuck with that when you can get 138,000 BTUs out of one gallon, you don't use as much, but you know, then you've got these oil tanks and they fail over time and you know, they don't yeah. burn cleanly. And, um, when I was doing a lot of energy audits, I saw, you know, like the coal converted uh, <laughs> uh, to oil, to wood burning octopus thing in the basement. And you're going, at some point, this thing is just, I mean, it's just blowing smoke right out the chimney. Like, uh, yeah. what is it even doing? You know, yeah. so. Yeah, 60% efficient. And yeah. yeah. No, the reason I ask is we, we do do a lot of, um, especially you, you get outside the, the, some of the city limits, um, the rural where they have the, the co-ops, electric co-ops, um, they push a lot of off-peak programs. Um, so we, they've got a storage um, program that they push a lot that uh, you can buy a, an electric storage furnace. Um, they're, they're big, they're heavy. Um, they're loaded with brick, um, but they, they heat electrically in the middle of the night, and then they store that heat. They, they, as a matter of fact, they heat to 1,200 degrees. They, they, they get quite warm in the, inside the core, and they release that heat all day. You know, they don't take another charge during the day, so it's um, kind of interesting. They, it's, I think the rate is less than $0.05 cents a kilowatt to, to, for heating. Yeah, um, I have seen them, and we talked about that. I want to say it's probably been about ten years since um, I really saw a lot of that, and I thought that's a fantastic idea, and we should get on board with that. But we don't mm -hmm. have peak energy rates. Like okay. our, okay. they, they were going to put in these smart meters. They were thinking about offering it. They put in these smart meters. Then they sold the company. I don't know what happened. Then everybody just started getting these massive energy bills, and Ooh. it all went down fast okay we're lucky here we do we do have that in water heating too which is you know when you're when you're 
getting half rate on electric water heaters, um, uh, all of a sudden the marathon, we do a lot of marathon water heating and, uh, it, the, you know, they're costing eight to $10 for a typical family of four to heat their water for the month. Uh, it's hard to beat that with anything. Yeah, that is really awesome. Um, and I wish that we did that because I think that there could be a lot of, you know, off-peak electric and especially getting people to to one type of utility. That's one of the things that I love about, you know, doing heat pumps and you know, induction ranges in these high-performance homes is you get down to one utility and then you can control that one utility. You don't have gas plus oil plus electric plus, you know, um, and I wish that we had some of those off-peak systems. They just don't mm-hmm. have any way to, well, they have lots of ways to do it. They're just not doing it. As well, yeah. I guess is what I should say. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. we actually had a major issue with our past governor and the power company and trying to basically not give people credit for their solar systems. If they were attached to the grid, they were going to do away with solar credits. And I'm like that, that's really like i i agree with you know having some some infrastructure because you're pushing power to the grid and so the grid has to be able to handle that and they have to right. maintain it um but to to not actually so what what would ever be the point of having solar panels on your roof you'd have to be off grid or not do it so right. um thankfully right. they they reversed that there were enough people in the state who who were really interested in solar um and doing uh better with individual solar systems and, and big solar systems that uh, that has kind of gone back to the way that it was a you know one to one you get one credit for every you know kilowatt that you produce so okay okay nice nice yeah, but so the electric company, even though you know we're pushing for these all electric things, uh, has been a little bit more challenging than maybe we would have liked. Okay, yeah, but it, there's one thing nice about being rural up here. It's you know you don't have natural gas, of course. You're you're heating with propane and the, the flux, you know, the 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 volatility at times. Um, we did have propane hit four four and a half dollars a gallon a few years ago. Um, which at that point you're better off just buying a bunch of space heaters and plugging them in and heating your house that way. I know we don't have, um, we don't have natural gas really. Uh, We have it in the two bigger cities that we have in Maine, but so much of Maine is rural that we don't really have natural gas in a lot of places either. And so, you know, it's hard to suggest the people, you know, a a gas, a gas furnace or a gas boiler might be so much more efficient, but when the price of gas is just so volatile, it, you know, it's, it's never, mm-hmm. you know, there's no way to control that. And so, yeah. um, although the price of oil is kind of volatile too. So there have been it years is, yeah. where it's $5 a gallon and there are years like this year where it's like two forty a gallon. So Really and that's just... still that's still up there, you know, as far as heating fuels, especially when you're. I'm on natural gas in my house, and we're at a dollar, a dollar twenty a therm. Yeah. Um. So you know, of course, we don't have the heat output that that fuel oil's got, but it's still the, the efficiency and the you know. Yeah, the, but a hundred. A hundred thousand BTUs for a dollar twenty, or one hundred thirty-eight thousand BTUs for two fifty. It's you know, 
it's still more expensive. <laughs> and exactly. you know, if you have fuel oil, your your heating system kind of maxes out at eighty five percent efficient. So, right. you know, when you start comparing kind of apples to apples, it's it's really interesting. Although, um, we always have the conversation too: is you know, where is your electricity? being produced. I think, yeah. I'm not sure if it still is right now, but for a long time, 80% of Maine's power was renewable resources. So you could feel pretty good about using electric okay. um, and not worrying too much about it. I'm not sure if it's like that now. And um, I know there's this big fight against, they want to put a corridor from Quebec Hydro to Massachusetts through the state of Maine. And so there are a lot of people up in arms about, about that. And um you know, what are the pros and cons to, you know, having this huge corridor that runs through all of our state preserved parkland yeah. and then producing, you know, hydropower, which is probably more efficient than how Massachusetts is producing power now. So it's like, oh, you know, it's bad both ways. I don't know. Yeah. What's worse? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. We just had one put in, uh, I think, I don't know if it comes out of, I think Manitoba and same thing it's towards the loose. Um, and I'm not sure where it goes from there, but yeah, it was a, uh, probably a 200, 250 mile long line that they, they had to clear. All the trees were heavily forested. So they had to clear the right away to, to, to run this yeah. whole line down and major two, two and a half, three year project. But you know, it, yeah, it, it's, it seems like the uh, Canadians have a lot of stuff figured out. They, they, they have a lot of solar and they have a lot of hydro and they have a lot of excess. So they're able to sell it to us, which is, I guess good for them, and I, it, it's better for us. At least we're not burning, uh, you know, coal to to try to produce power. It's replacing some of that, but that is true. That is true. Yeah. I think um, my only experience with that here is that I mean, I've seen a lot of converted old coal things. But the first house that my husband and I lived in um, when we when we moved um, to our first house, the guy they came and they tried to deliver a load of coal and they were going to jump it in my backyard. And I'm like, who are you? And what are you doing? Like, no, found out the neighbor across the street. That's like 80 year old gentleman across the street. still had a coal fired furnace. And I was like, say what? <laughs> First of all, how is he out there shoveling this coal? And what? Just what? So, can but, you imagine dumping all that in your basement so you can no, and, and then, dirty uh, and gross and then burning it and oh my gosh no mm. <laughs> i mean we're we're even at the point like maine is heavily forested too we have a lot of wood here we use a lot of wood you know and the joke that i tell people all the time now is people don't own the back 40 anymore and they're not going mm -hmm. out there and cutting down the wood that they have and wood's only 65 percent efficient i think when you burn it um you know m maybe in some of the more high efficient or pellets probably obviously much better but just straight up wood is only about 65 percent efficient and you know who wants to be in their 80s cutting down wood uh, other than my father-in-law who's 77 and that he couldn't wait to come back from vacation so he could be out chopping wood <laughs> <laughs> that, that, is that group of people they, that, that's how they get their exercise and they, they, they enjoy being outside and they love doing it so yeah maybe yeah. there are less and less of them these days there are there are i don't have the energy to do that anymore I know that. I, yeah i don't either i don't i don't have the energy i don't have the time i don't really have any desire to do it so well, i'll walk so, the dog that sounds better yeah. so then you uh you buy your firewood at uh i think delivered split and delivered here it's 250 275 a cord 
Yep. Uh, and you know, at a sixty-five percent efficient, you know, uh, you know it's hard to hard to hard to justify. Yeah, it is. It's, it's hard to justify that that's that's your heat source. Although, you know, when we do get pushback from you know banking institutions or something that are like heat pumps aren't a primary heat source, which I mean, at this point, we've had cold climate heat pumps for long enough that. Yeah. They basically are, but they're still getting a lot of pushback. We'll say, okay, we'll put in a wood stove and that seems to make people happy. So, yeah, yeah. Um, we actually, uh, well, that concrete slab on great home, we, uh, just because we were a little bit nervous, we didn't put in a, uh, a gas burning fireplace. Mm-hmm. Uh, the heat load for that house was 19,000 BTUs. Yeah. And of course the, the, the fireplace I got put in was 45,000 BTU. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. And that, that was, um, I do a couple of community projects and one of them is a, you know, 1200 square foot ranch house and they're small and, you know, the blower door tests were coming in at 350 CFM, you know, we're backdrafting these traditional, um, oil burning systems. And I'm like, we got to use something else. We got to use something else. And for a while they were like, we'll just put a hole in the structure. I'm like, you have totally defeated the purpose. <laughs> like that's not, no, we're not doing that. Um, and so they finally moved to sealed combustion, which was better, but I'm like, these things are so small and so tight. Like a heat pump or two would be more than enough for what you need yeah. to do. Um, yeah. But yeah. And then the, the, when you, when you've got a good envelope, the heat loss is minimal, you know, yeah. it's very slow. So, you, you know, you can, even if there was a power outage, for instance, you could get by for several hours and not lose that much temperature. So how many blower door tests do you do in a week? Not in a week. Uh, It varies. It, um, I probably do average one a week, I suppose. Um, some of them, there's probably, I do 15 to 20 that are code compliant testing. So they're new construction. The rest of them are, are older homes that that have issues that we got to try to figure it out. What do you do with the new construction when they don't meet the blower door test? Are you having a lot of people that are struggling to meet it? No, not with the poly. We, as a matter of fact, the only ones that uh, I had, that I haven't had meet it have been where there's ductwork in the attic, mm. and they've had some issues, you know, sealing either the boot or the, maybe the ductwork isn't sealed right, and and there's issues there. But for the majority of the time, it's uh, it's almost always met. Um, Matter of fact, the average I see is probably between two and two point two five ACH fifty. Yeah, I like to say you know aim between one and two is kind of a comfortable place. You know, yeah. if we're doing passive house, obviously you got to be down in the oh, yeah. point something numbers. Um, yeah. and there are some great builders who can get there. Um, yeah. Is it necessary for most people? Probably not. Um, no. And we don't seem to struggle to get to between one and two um, most of the time. I'm not doing a lot of code compliant blower door testing for other people because it hasn't been required thus far. Once they adopt 2015, it'll be required. Um, so I think uh, once they do that, I, I think some of the, the energy auditors will, will have you know more to do. There were a couple of towns who... Um, in 2009, I think that it was ACH of seven, but you could do a visual inspection or you could do a blower door test. And I don't really know what a visual inspection tells you, <laughs> but you could do that. So there okay. were a couple of towns who were like, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. We're going to have you do blower door testing. And so there were, you know, there were a couple of towns that, that were doing it anyway. 
Um, but in a lot of places they, they weren't, you know, they weren't, they weren't doing it, but we're going to see a lot more of that now once the 2015 code gets adopted. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, how, are, how many, how often are you testing? If it's your own project, are you testing two, three times during the project or just at the end? Um, usually two or three times. It does depend on the, the contractor and the type of structure we have. So, you know, a lot of times we do trusses and sometimes it's hard to get the sheetrocker to sheetrock the ceiling and the insulation guy to come and then do the walls and then do the ceiling, you know, like it's a, it's a coordination issue because, you know, they want to yeah. come once and then they want to be done. And so, yeah. Yeah. um, it depends on often on how they're doing their, um, their air barrier on the ceiling. Like if we've got okay. a plywood ceiling, that's great. Um, we'll do it at shell, you know, before we've got any insulation, which is, awesome and then we'll do it you know after insulation and then at the end um because okay. really that's the best way to to catch all of that stuff and i have one so i'll just cart it around yep, yep. um <laughs> but I, I mean the people always think that's funny too they're like wait you're an architect you have a blower door test <laughs> i'm like yeah i got a blower door that's cool <laughs> so, um what, what are you using on the exterior is your air barrier um, it depends. We've used Henry Blue Skin. We've used Grace EMVS. We've used um, Sega My Rex. My, my, best. my best. My best. I always get it wrong. Yeah. I'm like, one's on the inside, one's on the outside. Just make yeah. sure you get the right one. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so we've used a bunch of different ones. Have you used any of the um, uh, the uh zip systems or any any of the coatings on the exterior like those um we we haven't used any of the coatings um i haven't seen anybody that's done that here yet although that's okay. kind of interesting um lots of zip system although uh i'm a big proponent of the double stud wall system okay and no interior paper barrier so uh the osb on zip system can be a little bit um not vapor permeable enough um, okay. so like the green stuff that they put on the outside is great, yeah. but the OSB itself is just, it's perm rating is a little too tight. And that makes me a little bit nervous because I know in February, I'm probably going to have some condensation in my wall system and I don't want that OSB to just like blow up. So right, we use right. a lot more either plywood or board sheathing. I'm really getting into, um, we have a lot of wood here, so we've got a lot of people who are more than willing to do board sheathing, just pine nice. board sheathing. And then, okay. you know, if you get a fully applied WRB, it's a great, um, you know, air barrier. Yeah. And yep. so, but we do use it. zip system, you know, especially depending on, you know, what you've got. If you've got exterior insulation and you have enough of it and the dew point is never going to hit where the zip system is, then, you know, that's great. Okay. Um, it's just, it, it varies so much depending on the contractor and what they're, you know, some of them will do exterior insulation all day. Some of them are like, nope, double stud wall is the way to go. And so it just, it's so different. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. We up here, it's all, almost all the builders that I deal with are code minimum. So mm -hmm. we're supposed to be. We're lucky if they're using Tyvek. Sometimes it's just the uh, woven, whatever's cheapest at the lumber yard. Oh, wow. Um, and then we have poly in the interior, you know, and it's fiberglass. 
Um, there's a few that are doing some spray foam. Um, you know, and those are the houses that I'm testing that seem to be getting down to that one ACH 50. Um, mm-hmm. Interesting to go back in, you know, five years down the road and see if they're still there. But you know, yeah, that's one thing that I like to talk about a lot too. Is you know, spray foam's great that first day, but then what happens two years after it's sort of dried out? You know, because that structure is yeah. going to be wet for the first year or two until right. it acclimates and it dries out and everything else. And does the spray foam separate from it? Uh, some of that is, you know, closed cell versus open cell spray foam, you know, air movement. Uh, I just wonder, you know, do we really know enough about the off-gassing too? When you've got one ACH, you're not losing any air from the inside of your house. And so you guys require mechanical ventilation, which is awesome. But then if you've got somebody who never learned how to use it and they turn it off once in the summertime and never turn it back on, then mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and that, that, that's one of the unknown, you know, when you're, when you're the home, when you're the builder, there's a lot of things you can control, but uh, once the homeowner takes ownership, hopefully you've taught them well enough. Well, yeah. We talk about that um, with net zero houses too, is like, I can plan for it to be net zero based on, you know, average usage. But I don't know what you're going to do when you move in. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah. I, I don't know if you're going to leave the lights on all the time. I don't know if you're going to do a load of laundry every day. I don't know if you're going to do a load of laundry once every two weeks, you know. And so we can plan for the average amount of, you know, water usage and number of loads of dishes and percentage of time that you would leave the lights on. And we'll make them all LED. So they'll be efficient as possible, but I can't say for sure it will be zero energy until you live here. Or, you know, if you're, so when you're doing energy audits, are you doing um, any energy modeling? Uh, I just started, um, I, I actually it was uh, Mike Means kind of got me uh, into thinking about it is yep. <laughs> so I'm struggling trying to figure out all the, uh, the nuances. I wish I wish you guys were closer so I could uh, chat with Mike and and oh, yeah. you know, figure well, it just, out a little faster. But just let me know. We'll we'll get a we'll okay. get a beopt online class going and we'll get <laughs> Mike to teach it. But that's sort of a joke around here is whenever somebody doesn't know anything, it's hashtag ask Mike. Um, <laughs> so we say that a lot. Uh, he uh, helped me get I got a beer and BS, so I'll get some beer. I I, I changed the name a little bit, but uh, I started one in, in my hometown and uh, thanks to Mike who uh, who I spent quite a bit of time emailing back and forth with to help me get it set it up but it's i enjoy it it's 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 a fun event for for me i'm a geek though but it is a fun event i think a lot of us are um and i said that um in the podcast that actually went up today i was talking with mike from arrow barrier and um at the very end i said i was reading in this business book and it's like if you're with a group of people and you don't know who the nerd is it's you (laughs) i'm like oh that's so me (laughs) <laughs> I'm, I'm so the nerdy person who's uh you know who's just into geeking out over the building science stuff you know like it wasn't wasn't good enough to be an architect it wasn't good enough to just know this stuff I wanted to know the building science I wanted to know you know all that stuff behind it um you take the the nerd tests and yeah I'm, my husband is Joe Normal and I am like super nerdy (laughs) so when you're right in the right part of the country for that too because it seems like all the really 
nerdy building science people are in the Northeast, at least the ones that start a lot of, you know, you get the, the Steve Basics and the, the, the Michael Mains and, and you, you know, it's, you all live out there and. Yeah. But so, you know, starting the podcast and, and doing some of this stuff and talking about building sciences, you know, okay. Is it just the Northeast? Is it other people, you know? And, and then, you know, I, I think I met Travis through Mike because Mike apparently knows everybody. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, talked to him and then that sort of extended to, you know, the Midwest and the West Coast. And, you know, Mike was in Oregon and, you know, really interesting to see from one coast to the other, how people do things differently. And um, I belong to a forum of architects. So there've been a couple of architects on the podcast recently and, you know, here, you're heavily wooded. We have a lot of wood, so you probably build with a lot of wood. But out in Colorado, they can't use wood as much as they would here because it just breaks down in the sun and, you know, natural mm. material. It just, it's just too harsh of an environment. I'm like, man, wow, dude, think about that. You know, like you to use something different on the outside of your building here. We're trying to get people to use wood siding again, a la 1800s and <laughs> like no more vinyl siding. Let's use wood. They're like, I don't want to paint my wood. I'm like, Hey, we figured out why people had to paint their siding. We just won't do it that way. <laughs> Although I tell everybody no red, unless you want an orange house. <laughs> yeah. And we still, we have a mix. We, 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 it seems like our a lot of our wood was wood, and we, you know we're using a lot of the the, the LP. Um, oh yeah, side, yeah. The smart side. Well, and I think a lot of people are using composite things, um, and and we're going to that. I'm actually really impressed. Um, the geologic uh, group is doing a plant here, and they're going to start making wood fiberboard and wood blown in wood insulation and nice. wood bats, which is really exciting because it's an old paper mill. Mm -hmm. And they're converting okay. this old paper mill. So as far as my standpoint, I'm like, that's awesome. They're taking an old mill. They're doing something new with it. You know, we're, we're using a lot of wood in creative and new ways. But anyway, I digress. I want to just say thank you for coming on today, telling us what you're up to and what you've been doing. It's great to hear that there are people out there still doing energy auditing and working on the existing structures that we have. That's a conversation that we have a lot, that our existing structures need just as much attention, if not maybe more than new construction. And hopefully we're just building some better structures when we do it. So thanks for being on today. It was fun. I'll add Randy's contact information to the show notes as usual, and I appreciate you guys for tuning in. I'd love to say that I have more time now with the uh, self-quarantine, but it has been busier than usual and a lot of great podcast guests in the upcoming weeks that I've either e recorded with or plan to record with. So tell me what you like, tell me what you don't like. Drop me a line, emily at matromarch.com. Follow us on Instagram. You can follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, loads of ways to get in touch with me. So I hope to hear from you. Like, share, comment on Apple iTunes podcasts and also on the website if you'd like. So have a wonderful week in home quarantine and we'll see you next week.